and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that is your weekly guilty pleasure. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Why are you smiling already? I'm just giggling at all the typos. You normally script a little intro when you do it, and your typos, we've got culture that with an F in it, and journalist is spelled journalaricis. Unpopular opinion. I don't give a fuck about typos. You are the queen of typos, but It's because I'm trying. I'm all about efficiency. That's what it says. Okay. Anyway, coming up on today's show, the Married at First Sight storyline we aren't getting behind, the dazzling rise and sharper fall of Napoleon Perdice's empire, and the film clip that's forcing Ariana Grande, so says my typo, to court. But first, Michelle, how was your week? My week was busy because yes. exciting announcements announcement for all the listeners. I well we but more I. I will say you. <laughs> I have been planning our very first live show which will be in Melbourne. Uh, if you're listening on Monday the 4th of Feb, tickets are on sale at 10 a.m. We are doing a live show on the 28th of March right near Chapel Street. And I will put a link to that in our Instagram bio. Mm-hmm. It, to be honest, I don't think you're going to be short of links finding them. There'll be one in our Facebook group too. Mm-hmm. Where else are we going to put it? Everywhere. Everywhere on the internet. My forehead. That doesn't actually quite work. Uh, Apart from that, was your week good? Yeah, it was good. I I had an anxious week. Anyone who subscribed to the newsletter would know about that. I wrote about it for the newsletter column this week. But uh, I've recently gone off the pill and I've gotten really into period tracking on my phone. There's a period tracker app called Flow. And it is amazing. I'm so enjoying being able to track all my symptoms and... uh, I think I'm kind of getting like more in tune with my body yeah. because I'm off the pill now and because it's just like happening naturally. I have never been into that type of stuff before, but I'm really enjoying this app. It's free and it's just good. There's actually some great pieces around and writing around the rise of femtech, which is the idea that, you know, women's bodies are being like leveraged to make money off in technology, which is like apps like Float, which I generally don't have a problem with i don't have I, it's been the be- one of the best apps i've downloaded but for there's sure. it's such an interesting idea that finally people are realizing that there's so much money in this industry because we're going through it all the time women uh who'd have thought <laughs> <laughs> what about you what about your week uh, a good week overall i did a lot of reading this week but i'll pop i reckon i'll pop all of those links that i've been reading in the newsletter because i have been consuming a lot and i know we go in waves some days i'll turn up to this and say i just have lived <laughs> in my own world for a week and other times i've been consuming as much as i can i the only thing i would recommend which is going to come across as the the dumbest recommendation ever but I am terrible at replying to people if I don't reply straight away. I think that's a pretty universal and standard thing. Mm-hmm. That if I get a text message and I'm not replying to it straight away, 24 hours later, I'll be like, fuck, I need mm-hmm. to reply. For me, it's like a week later that I yeah. realized. Yeah. And I realized it this week because I was having a conversation with one of my girlfriends that spanned five days when it <laughs> could have spanned five minutes. And so what I thought is at the end of every workday at five o'clock, I've put an alarm on my phone to go back through my messages and see what I've missed. So at the end of the day, I'm just going to like do 10 minutes of just replying of all the shit that sort of went over my head. You know, you sound like you're a little bit popular. Do you reckon? You have lots of friends you need to reply to every day at five (laughs) o'clock. I really need to go through all my messages and need like a personal assistant. I actually got nothing in response to that. But I feel like that's actually quite a general issue. And it can be the same as emails too. I'm like, feeling like a massive loner compared to you right now. But the same goes for emails, stuff you just forget. <laughs> Zara's in demand, guys. I actually genuinely have nothing to say back. Stop I'm messaging not. Zara. She's overwhelmed. No, keep messaging me. It keeps my social life alive. <laughs> 
if I may, <laughs> can I move this along? Michelle, just before we go along as well, Michelle tends to eat and drink a lot as we uh, record these podcasts. She's got a bottle of kombucha in her hand and a muesli bar and it kills me. In my defence, for anyone who hasn't tried kombucha, it has only come into my life in the last six months. I always thought it was a bit weird and everyone kept talking about live cultures and that kind of freaked me out. Holy crap, I love kombucha so much. I reckon I drink more kombucha than I do tea now, which is quite the feat. But I think there's like a certain type of person that can't handle the noise of other people eating and chewing and drinking, and that person is me. Masticating, is that the word? If you guys can hear it in the microphone, could you send me a message so I can ban this (laughs) process? Excuse me, leave me and my kombucha alone. Do you want to do the first segment? Shall we? Yes. Okay, married at first sight. This was everywhere this week, all over our Facebook group, all over the internet in general. It is one of the highest rating shows in Australia right now. Uh, For anyone overseas, Married at First Sight is basically a reality TV show where they pair up scientifically, (laughs) supposedly, couples together and then they make them live together for 12 weeks. And at the end of the 12 weeks, the couples decide if they want to continue on being a couple or not. They're not legally married. That's just for fun. I for guess. sure. It's for my fun anyway. I have been watching every single episode. Zara? I have not. Yeah. Which I think is good because I came into this year saying I am not watching Married at First Sight this year. I was so against it after last season where none of the couples stayed together. I sat down for the first episode and about five minutes in, looked to my boyfriend. I was like, yep, they've got me in for a whole other season. I don't, I genuinely don't understand the Married at First Sight thing. And maybe because I've never sat in front of it properly, but it does... It just feels spectacularly trashy and I'm not against trash. I mean, we do a celebrity podcast, (laughs) but there is something about this show that can't reel me in. Yeah, I think it's better than The Bachelor. Yeah, interesting. It's like The Bachelor times 10. It's almost like you're watching that excitement on The Bachelor is happening over and over and over again. And it's good because there's a bit of couple swapping that goes on. So it's like all the drama of The Bachelor, but just heightened. Still not that into it. What I did get into this week, because uh, for as much as I don't watch the show, I definitely follow the news cycle around the show. And that was very hard to avoid or ignore this week, particularly with the hot brother that went viral. Mm, Reese Power. So he was the brother of Jessica and he went viral for being super hot. Again, I'll put that in quotation marks because I'm not sure he's my type personally. (laughs) Being super hot is very subjective. Yes, very, very true. So Reese's Instagram following went from 1,200 people on the night that the episode went up to, at the time of recording this episode, 45,000 followers. This very much interests me because I it reminded me so much, and as the story progressed even more so, of Hot Felon. Mm, Do you remember Hot Felon, which is yeah. this man called Jeremy Meeks whose mugshot went viral a couple of years ago for being super hot? And I remember reading a brilliant piece at the time by a woman called Caitlin Dewey for the Washington Post who said on about Hot Felon, he is a celebration of the internet's ability to flatten, reduce and decontextualize just about any dribble of information. Mm. So I thought that was very interesting in the context of Married at First Sight and how Reese went viral and, and his Instagram following just inflated because we kind of didn't give a shit about the person that he was initially. We didn't give a shit what he stood for, what he was about. We just cared about the face and we sort of took all context away. Yeah, it was almost memified, yeah. I guess, and that his photo just went completely viral and all over the internet. How many times could we say viral? in episodes now. I feel like we've absolutely <laughs> shot ourselves in the foot now. Yeah, so this was interesting. For anyone who missed it, it later emerged thanks to a fantastic piece in the Daily Telegraph by Katie Hall, who is a listener and a friend of the podcast, that Reese Power has an active VRO, that's a violence restraining order, 
and it was issued against him two months before he attended the filming of his sister's televised wedding. Yeah, and this troubled me initially because I, I started to think about what is a reality television show's responsibility to not put him in the frame given his past? I mean, he's not a central character. He's not. The show was never hinging off him to succeed, mm. though I guess they had a hunch that he would have done okay yeah. because of his ace, and I imagine they would have deliberately panned around him yes. for that reason. Yes. But what is their responsibility? Like, does every single person in the frame of every single reality television show have to be vetted and checked? I don't think so. I don't think it's necessarily fair on Channel 9 to think that they would do background checks on every single person at every wedding. I think, though, it also comes down to how much they knew they would leverage off him. If there mm. were conversations about the fact that this could be a key storyline mm. of the first episode, then I guess that's the kind of thing they absolutely need to check. But every single person in the frame, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah, and I think maybe they saw that he was attractive and made – he. they obviously put his face up on screen yeah. multiple times, but I'm not sure if they would have looked into the court system and what he had lodged against him. That just yeah. seems a bit unreasonable. There are numerous women who have spoken to Katie Hall for that piece and we will put the link to that piece in our show notes because it is really interesting and I think it's good to have context when someone blows up like this. It's really important to remember the actual person behind it. Well, exactly right. And to not flatten or reduce him to a face or a meme, but instead, who are we celebrating here and why are we celebrating them? Yeah, it really did expose an unusual thread in Married at First Sight to me because Reese wasn't the only overprotective brother yeah. that was shown in one of the episodes. So in his episode, he was constantly going on about how his sister Jessica deserves the best and this guy's not good enough for her and he'll kick anyone in or murder anyone who crosses his sister in very violent language. We also had an episode with Ivan, who was the brother of Cyrell, and he was the same. He pulled the groom aside, was doing the very macho, I'm the protective brother trope. And I found that really troubling because I fucking hate the protective older brother stereotype. I despise it because I've never been interested in having an overly protective brother because the stereotype feels like such a power imbalance. I want the people around me to protect me, right? I want the people around me to be loyal and to have my back, not just my dad and my brothers. But the inference in this kind of thread and this kind of trope is that a woman needs help, that she doesn't have the autonomy to protect herself and she needs someone that is a male to assert that for her. It also has this sense of ownership totally. over women and over sisters as if the women in these men's lives are possessions yeah. and even that the act of marriage is, again, passing over a possession from one man to another. It feels like the brothers in this show so far have been far more intimidating, gross, annoying than any of the actual groomsmen. Well, exactly, and, and how would you feel with your daughter ending up with potentially someone like Reese Power who has allegations, I'll say, allegations around him. But the other thing about this trope in particular, and particularly with my reading around Married at First Sight, is the idea that the protective brother in these instances almost always incites or threatens violence in order to assert himself. And the idea, I guess, there is that in order to prove their worth, they have to prove their macho-ness. And in order to prove their macho-ness, they have to be violent. Mm. And I really hate that entire idea. Yeah, I just hate the entire idea that to have an honest conversation with the partner of your sister, you need to pull them outside and have this really aggressive chat with them. It just feels like a completely unusual foreign concept to me. I have a brother, he's my younger brother, but 
we are on such an even playing field that he would never go up to my partner and say, you better treat my, like, isn't that just a given? Shouldn't everyone treat everyone right? Well, it feels completely outdated and foreign and dramatic, as you say. And you're right. It's because I have two brothers, one older, one younger. (laughs) I don't know if neither of them care (laughs) enough about my life to do that either, (laughs) which is an aside. But I I can't imagine doing that to them as much as they, I can't imagine them doing that to me. Mm. I mean, I imagine if we were both all dating people that we might have a problem with. That's a time for more mature, logical, reasoned conversation rather than... Not, I'm going to break his neck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I wonder why do we fawn over this kind of stuff? Because I, I would, it would be remiss of us to say or argue that people don't want a protective brother or don't want a protective dad or that the reason that this is a common thread in a show like Married at First Sight is because there's some romance to it. Mm. And I just... Is it because at the end of the day, we're desperate for people to care about us? I don't know what it is, but there has to be something to it. I think you and I are definitely in the minority. I'm sure there are thousands of listeners listening to this right now who think, no, I really appreciate having a man in my life who would go to battle for me. It's just weird that we're talking about going to battle. Yeah. Isn't it just more of a metaphoric, like, I've got your back, not I'm going to stab him in the back. if he. And the funniest part about this is that my sister would be so much more likely to incite violence if somebody somebody hurt me than my brothers. But it's true. So I think think it's natural to want people to care and to have a vested interest in your feelings and your life. But for that to be a brother or a dad, particularly someone that's older than you, really blows my mind. Mm, And for it to be a physical, I'm going to protect you. Yeah, like I'm a wall yeah. around you. Like I'm I'm the bubble around you so that nothing can hurt you. Yeah. Are we being harsh? If we are, please come into our Facebook group, Shameless <laughs> Podcast Community. I don't think anybody's ever hesitated in telling us we're harsh. No. Or giving us their opinion. But I would be interested. Do you want a protective brother? Or what are your reasons? I mean, I would be interested to, to hear the minutia of different relationships when it comes to siblings. Mm, mm. Can you answer a few questions? Okay. Is your muffin buttered? <laughs> what? Would you like us to assign someone to butter your muffin? My what? Is he bothering you? Jason, why are you such a skis? I'm just being friendly. (sighs) You were supposed to call me last night. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the celebrity news cycle. And it's good that Zara is kicking it off today because I can sit back and sip on my kombucha. Can you not? (laughs) (laughs) Right into the microphone. I'm kidding. I won't do that. Go ahead. You should, I should just make you speak for the entire episode so that you can't consume anything. <laughs> and my first story is actually split into 1A and 1B, if you don't mind. I feel like we do make the rules here so we can do whatever we like. 1A. <laughs> Ariana Grande unveils misspelled Japanese tattoo. That is from Nine Honey. Yes. So when you translate the characters in English directly from what she got on her hand, she meant it to say seven rings like her latest single. Instead, in Japanese, it translated to a portable clay stove used for cooking. I don't mind that. (laughs) Do you think this was legit, though? Yes, absolutely. I think this is legit because the backstory to this is that Ariana Grande has said for years that she knows Japanese on kind of like a a middle ground level. She's not fluent, but she says she's quite comfortable speaking Japanese. So she knows Japanese like I know French, which is about bonjour and that's it. (laughs) So I think what she did was she translated it and gave it to the tattoo artist. And it, it does, if you transfer it into English, it does literally say seven rings, but in Japanese context, it translates to something else entirely. And I that thought she got it cut off early. 
No. So yeah. she then came out later. So this is what part 1B. Would you like to read out that headline? I would Ariana Grande fumbles again in an attempt to fix botched Japanese tattoo. <laughs> this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. So she then came out and this is the second part and she said, "Oh no, I just hadn't got the second part done That's yet. That's what I, I thought. I fixed it now." But the fixing it didn't fix it at all. <laughs> Instead now it translates to in Japanese, barbecue finger. Ah. <laughs> of course. This just blows my mind because this seems like the the easiest mistake to avoid making. Yeah. I just feel like if you're going to get something inked, you're going to get it cross-checked too if yeah. it's in another language. I don't get why people get tattoos in other languages. It's not my thing. But then again, as long as you make sure Wait, that it's... I don't mind it. Bit of culture, Michelle. If you Wouldn't hurt. <laughs> if you translate... Well, if it's your own culture and stuff, I totally get it. If it's a culture that you don't know the language yeah. of... It does confuse me a little bit before anyone gets offended. If you've translated it correctly, then that's totally fine. But yeah. obviously you do run this risk if you just try to go on Google Translate and do it yourself. You almost deserve you know, that's it. That's what she did, went on Google Translate and was like, yep, there we go. 1,000%. <laughs> Number two, suddenly shy. Kylie Jenner's ex-Tiger, Tiger, Tiger, brushes, Tiger. <laughs> brushes off his fling with Kardashian associate Tammy Hembrow after they hooked up on his Australian tour. That is from the Daily Mail interesting story i love that they are now describing tammy hembrow as kardashian associate that is interesting to me because i think that is them wanting to hint straight away or remind people that she was the one carried out of the kardashian party on a stretcher without saying it explicitly is she doing this because she wants to kind of hold on to that massive fame that she got from that incident this is very unusual after that exploded late last year that she was escorted out of Kylie Kardashian's 21st birthday party face down on Kylie a stretcher Kardashian Kylie does say Kylie no you said Kylie Kardashian but then I said Kylie Kardashian and this is an entire mess of an episode <laughs> now <laughs> I don't know how we got here but I do think that is curious that she's now going out with Kylie's ex-boyfriend. It kind of feels like she's trying to like signal. Uh, hold on to that. To us. Yeah, because if that was me and if that was a story I didn't want raised again, I would do everything to avoid being around those people again. So I didn't remind them. But mm. like I said, having just Kardashian associate in a headline here does immediately signal that this was the woman who did this at that party. And yeah. all the story comes together. And as someone who doesn't follow Tammy Hambrow particularly closely, I don't think I would have remembered that story had we not been talking about this uh, again. Yeah. Do you reckon they're together? Did you watch the video inside the article? Of course not. I I think they're hooking up. Are they? they? I don't know. Am I giving? Am I really predicting who's having sex with who in Gold Coast? And I do you care? Is yeah, I do. I actually do care about this. I feel oh, like okay, no shame. I care what Tammy Hambrough does because I follow her and I've followed her for a while. Fair enough. Number three, Beyonce encourages fans to go vegan with life ticket competition. That's from the BBC. You're going to need to give me some background here because I read this headline and was like, how can you possibly monitor if people actually go vegan and stick to it? I know, right? Are people going to live stream their entire lives? Yeah. So the idea is that Beyonce is running this competition through the Green Print Project, which highlights the positive effect veganism can have on the environment. She has asked fans to submit how many of their meals are plant-based and in return get the chance to win 30 years worth of tickets. I mean, if I had a little more time on my hands, I could very easily Google ways to cook plant-based meals and submit. I won't before people get outraged. But it is a hard one to prove. Like, this is a very flawed competition, but I'm not going to argue with it because... Clearly, they're trying to do something good. Well, it's a good thing and it's good for the planet. So I won't be mad about it. I just to be I honest, see a lot of holes in this. Well, as if they wouldn't have seen them themselves. They just knew that this was going to grab headlines straight away. And we're talking about how veganism is good for the environment. So perhaps that is the bottom line. 
Okay, teacher Zara. What? No, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's the point. Number four, Gigi Hadid is being sued by a photo agency for posting a copyrighted image of herself to Instagram. That's from BuzzFeed, and this is certainly not the first time this has happened. No, this yes. has happened to heaps of celebrities. She's been sued for it before, oh, and she God. did it again. People were talking about this in our Facebook group, trying to work out whose side – of the argument they sit on. So for context, Gigi posted a photo to her Instagram that was a photo of her just walking down the street or outside of her apartment or something. Paparazzi took the photo, wanted to sell it on, probably did, but she, in posting it to her millions of followers, the the photo agency is saying that she owes the money for using a photo that she doesn't actually own, even though she's the subject of the image and the only reason it's worth any money is because she was in it. Mm. So it's super confusing to me. Um I was reading a little bit about this because it's confusing as to how she has no stake in a photo of herself. And apparently in the United States, photographs that are taken for editorial use in a public place generally enjoy constitutional protection under the First Amendment, which means in a public space, a celebrity can have no expectation of privacy. Wow. So the law is on the photo agency side and she if we're just talking about that one factor, we'll probably lose the case. But it does feel strange to me that celebrities put up a lot when it comes to the paparazzi and to not be able to use it for their own social media feels a little outdated. Like it, it doesn't feel like we've we've sort of adapted to how celebrities use social media and how they're going to advertise themselves. Yeah, I feel like I'm totally on Gigi Hidden's side here, that it's a photo of her. She should be able to use it however she damn well wants. The paparazzi economy is corrupt enough as it is and kind of seedy enough as it is I don't care I reckon go for it yeah well we'll see and number five Yumi Stein says Kerri-Anne Kennelly muttered indigenous people need to get over it about Australia Day change the date debate that was a long sentence that I missed this nine honey this story kept going yeah so this is the thing I kind of turned away from this story after the first day I was reading comments and I kind of got a bit disillusioned by the whole thing and any Yumi Steins or Kerri-Anne Kenley headline, CAC, as you call her, I turned away from. So for context once again, Yumi Steins and Kerri-Anne Kenley, Australian TV presenters who butted heads on Studio 10 this week after Kerri-Anne Kenley accused those marching on a change the date or change the Australia Day date protest that they should go to Aboriginal communities or Indigenous communities and see what's going on there, which was a strange thing to say because she has absolutely no idea what people do generally. Yeah, I'd and also be interested if she's gone to Indigenous exactly. communities very much. So Yumi turns around and says, Kerri-Anne, everything that's coming out of your mouth is seeming quite racist. Could you not do that? And obviously it took the news cycle, obviously it sees the news cycle yeah. um, because people were very interested. People are interested on live TV when people butt heads, but particularly about something so sensitive and with the word racist thrown around, there is something about when a white person is called racist and they get offended that we all get really involved in because it's like the most offensive thing apparently you can call a white person because we all want to know as well like if say you agree with Carrie ann kennelly which i absolutely do not but say you're watching it and you agree with her and then all of a sudden the r word's thrown out yeah you're like am i racist it makes everyone immediately become defensive and there was so much good commentary around this week about why we're so much more offended by being called racist than actually saying something racist, mm-hmm. which does blow the mind a little bit. Yumi was then talking on the 3pm pickup this week with Monty Diamond and Beck Judd, which is her other job, and she said that what the cameras didn't see is that Carrie-Anne said Indigenous people just need to get over it. 
What I also didn't realise is that in the days later when Yumi pulled out of her appearance on Studio 10 the next day because she just didn't want a bar of it, Carrie-Ann took her to task on TV saying, like, I've never not turned up for work. It's super unprofessional that you're not turning up to work, even though she pulled out almost hours after that exchange happened. Mm. A big blow up. Yeah, very fiery as well between them. Look, I don't want to weigh in too much because I'm not an Indigenous woman and I feel like I actually do not know enough about this. Obviously, I'm on the side of... Uh, Indigenous women and Indigenous men who want to campaign to change the date. Absolutely, I'm on that side. But I don't want to weigh into this particular discussion because I'm a, what can I add? Like, we've yeah, already exactly. got two people, two women who aren't Indigenous speaking about this. My voice is not going to add anything. No, and I think the only kind of thing we can add to the d- debate is actually talking about fragility and how white people are so fragile when they're called racist and what we can do to get our heads around that. Because I think that's a helpful conversation for us to have. The other stuff, I think we just sit back and listen. That's all I've got for the quick and dirty today. Thank you so much. It was the news that took hold of an Australian millennial news cycle. Beauty brand Napoleon Perdice had entered into voluntary administration after more than 25 years at the centre of the Australian beauty industry. There was surprise without shock, nostalgia without sadness. Mish, why do you think it's been such a big story for women our age? I think this shows exactly what beauty brands need to not do. In 2019, I think Napoleon Purtis was obviously successful for a really long time and it's incredible. He built his brand in the early 1990s with his wife, Sola Marie. His parents were Greek immigrants. He has made an incredibly successful empire out of that. And the empire's peak was probably around 2009 to 2011 when he had 65 stores across Australia and New Zealand. So huge. He was huge. He had seven makeup academies. He had his own reality TV show. He is an icon in the makeup industry in Australia. However, I think the reason why it has now failed is two-pronged in that the first one for me, which I want to talk about with you first, is that Napoleon Purtis as a brand completely failed to adapt to a changing industry and social media and what millennial women actually want. That was, that's been the most interesting conversation to come out of this week for me, for sure, because they are clearly not an agile business. They might have been for a long time, but I don't think we can underestimate how much the industry has changed in, or a lot of industries have changed with the influx of social media. The first thing that came to my mind when this story broke was that there wasn't an outpouring of sadness. And that really did interest me because for a brand that young women have invested in since they were 12 or 13, there should be an outpouring of sadness. People had no vested interest in this brand and they kind of have no connection to this brand. And I think that's for me what it all comes down to in that in 2019, there's a need more than ever for us to connect to brands because there's so much we can buy. I think one instance that told a massive story was when he actually did an interview after the news came out that they were going into voluntary administration. Napoleon Purtis went on to Your Money, which is a Foxtel money channel. And he was, it was asked of him, why are you not present on YouTube? Why is Napoleon Purtis not a big brand on social media? And his response was, these bloggers, they are not makeup artists. Why is that majestic? It's not. Let's see how long that bubble, as in the influencer bubble, lasts. I think that in a nutshell encapsulates a huge reason why Napoleon Purtis has failed because the influencer bubble's not going anywhere. Influencers are the new celebrities. And Napoleon was often in this interview pulling in examples of 90s supermodels and naughty supermodels as how other women can get 
brand traction too, but that's not the case anymore. The women who get brand traction are the ones who speak to their millions of followers directly via their Instagram account. It just seems like a very close-minded attitude because just because they might be going, they might be outdated in 10, 20 years and influencers might not have the same hold on us then that they do now, doesn't mean you don't sort of adapt to that and leverage off that while it's here. I mean, if you were using 90 supermodels while they were relevant then, why not use influencers now? I just, a disdain for influencer culture costs brands money. Oh, massively. And I think that's an important point to make here is that if you are not willing to take them seriously and to take them seriously in a way that's going to make you money because they can make you money, then you are going to struggle. And I think this is the most fascinating case study in what happens when you do have complete disdain for influencer culture. Yeah. And if you scroll through the Napoleon Purtis Instagram page, it is stale. I'm sorry if anyone from that company's listening to this, but it is clearly not being curated by someone who is an expert in social media. You can scroll through it and see that it is someone who has just been thrown in that job who has probably not a massive clue of what they're doing, which is not a criticism of them. Social media is a sphere where it's almost like another universe and you need to know so much. It's an art form now. It is. And it's so careful. Like I know lots of people's feeds look like they're very natural and uh, organic, but This is a massive industry, like a multi-billion dollar industry around the world, especially in beauty. Probably beauty is one of the biggest aspects of influencer culture. And so another thing that plays into this story is that last year, a former employee in legal documents said that he was asked to artificially boost the Instagram profile followers and Instagram post likes on the accounts of Napoleon Purtis, his four children and Napoleon's brother, Emmanuel. Are we shocked by that? I wish I, I I think it just every time I read that someone's buying followers, it annoys me no end. No, 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 there's no doubt about that. And this is something that we are going to consistently come back to on this podcast because it, it does speak to how fraudulent the industry can be and how fake the industry can be. But in terms of its relevance to Napoleon Perdice's failures, I just don't think it matters because there are plenty of very successful brands and very successful influencers who have bought too. They've just done it in a better way. I think the thing that people can say about the collapse of this brand is that the beauty industry is just becoming more competitive than ever. There are more brands than ever. But what was in the AFR this week was that market research company Morda Intelligence predicts that the Australian market will be worth more than $7 billion by the end of 2020 with annual growth of 9.31% since 2015. There is kind of not huge excuses anymore for beauty brands not capitalizing on what's going on because the industry is only getting bigger. It's so booming. we can't, yeah. yeah, we can't say it's become more competitive and they were going to struggle. This is the perfect time to enter beauty or it was maybe three years ago. I think Napoleon as well also encapsulates the danger that comes with enmeshing your name with your brand because Napoleon Purtis is not a vanilla figure. He's quite controversial. He's quite divisive in what he does. And whenever his reputation takes a hit, his entire company's reputation has taken a hit. So I think one of the biggest mistakes they've made recently was that they made Napoleon and Sola Marie's daughter, Liana, the face of their brand and their ambassador in about 2016. And that was kind of marked as an appeal to millennials. But the problem with that is that the more that you make this a family brand and the more you enmesh Napoleon into Napoleon Purtis, the more it kind of all goes down together. You need to establish a brand away from your own identity. And when he's such a polarizing figure and 
lots of journalists don't seem to get along with him. We've heard that in interviews before, he's sat there with sunglasses on the entire time, hasn't very been very open. We've heard things about potentially having a big ego or not being the warmest person to interview. That damages everyone, including all of the employees in that brand. Because the success of the company is therefore hinging on the brand of the owner, which is too much for anyone to take, particularly in a reactionary culture that we live in, where you put one foot wrong and you can have an entire sort of social media storm around you. It's a dangerous time for anyone's name to be very to be very closely tied with the brand and for them to also not see that very early and diversify the voices talking about Napoleon, diversify the faces that are representing Napoleon is very interesting to me because I do wonder how much an owner's reputation has come into play in the business's collapse in this particular case because I think it's probably twofold, right? I think an owner with an alleged or apparent ego will make bad decisions for one because they're probably clouded by their own ego. But I also, I'm interested in the idea is that are we, did we deliberately or consciously close our wallets to Napoleon because of Napoleon Purtis himself? And I don't think we can say, I didn't go and buy that primer because of Napoleon, but I think because we have so many brands to choose from now and because Napoleon wasn't cool because it was getting a little bit of bad press, we just didn't have to buy it. I wonder if with family brands as well, that when you're all, it's and that's a very family-dominated brand, there's a lot of the same family members at the very top, if it's kind of turning into groupthink that one person will say something and because you're all family, you'll mostly agree. There's not really anyone coming with a different perspective to criticise a decision or to offer an alternative and therefore you keep going down the one path without ever really looking back. And I think when Napoleon talks about how he hasn't invested really in social media influencers or in beauty bloggers, I think that's a mistake because even though it is such a costly industry. So for example, there's stats out there that say for you to get your brand mentioned on some of the biggest YouTube channels in the world, you have to pay $600,000 just for someone to recommend a blush. You've got to pay that influencer $600,000. I understand how someone who didn't grow up with social media or is kind of averse to social media might think that's ludicrous. But at the end of the day, look at all the different smaller cult brands who have really carefully spent money on micro influencer marketing and influencer marketing and how they've skyrocketed. To me, Napoleon Purtis has become so irrelevant in the last five years that I forgot they were even a thing. Mm. You walk into Mecca and you, and you walk into Sephora and you see all those brands. Where was Napoleon Purtis Cosmetics then? Well, funny you ask, because in August 2018, Napoleon Purtis went to Priceline. And I think for a lot of people, that was a massive red flag. For someone like me who doesn't have huge interest in the beauty industry, even for that was a massive red flag because it, to me, automatically spoke to how confused the brand was about its own identity. I mean, is this a brand that is lux and sort of wanting to be associated with the Estee Lauders or the Chanel's or is this a brand that wants to be associated with drugstores and drugstore cosmetics if if a brand can't sort out its own identity then how are we meant to consider it and what are we meant to think about it for me at the moment beauty has never been more about the cult brand and I think it's all about a brand having a very clear distinct voice all you have to actually do is look at the brands doing well at the moment Glossier over in the US has the clearest voice at home we've got Frank which has a very clear voice GoTo has a very clear voice the brands that are up and coming are all doing a very similar thing in a different way 
And it's very obvious that that's what we want. And you know what? It's funny because when you say the word Mecca, to me, that immediately makes me feel excited and giddy. I exactly. love Mecca. When I got a um, I got a $200 Mecca voucher for Christmas and it was gold and it came in the most beautiful packaging. And Mecca is a brand that has done it so well because they've got Mecca land. They've got festivals based around beauty and makeup. They are almost entirely investing in influencers like Sammy Robinson, Shani Grimmond, even Gemma Watts does a lot of work with Mecca Maxima and Mecca Cosmetica. That stuff all appeals to me because I feel excited. I feel like they're always on my social media feed. I feel like I can go, I can go and get an interactive you, experience. You understand what they're about. Like you understand what the pitch is, it's like what play. the sale is. All of Mecca yeah. is play and fun and like happiness. And it, it's so crucial now, like I said at the very start, that women, young women have brands to connect to because we are on social media all the time. Maybe it's because we don't have as much human to human connection that all our connection is on social media, that we feel something towards a brand because like we said there's so much to choose from mm. the australian financial review in their piece about the collapse of napoleon did note the disconnect between the day that napoleon announced that they were going into administration mecca were doing a mecca conference it was very bright it was very happy it was very pink and it did really directly reference the difference between a brand that is likable and a, a brand that makes sense and a brand that is not as likable and a brand that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, as soon as Napoleon comes out and says bloggers are not makeup artists, like what what makes them special, immediately makes me want to turn away because I love bloggers. I feel like bloggers are engaging and entertaining and I feel like the women on my social media feeds are some of my friends. I know that sounds ludicrous yeah, really because does. they don't know who the <laughs> no, hell I am. But for someone to come out and say, you're not a makeup artist, you can't know about beauty, is completely ignoring the whole appeal of beauty is that well, anyone can be a makeup artist. Anyone can have fun with a eyeshadow palette or a new foundation. You don't need to be a makeup artist to have some type of ownership over self-expression. No, and that's another point to the downfall because I think what social media has done in the last couple of years is completely democratize the beauty industry and the process to come from a position where you say I know about beauty and you don't immediately alienates the buyer like mm. I feel like maybe I shouldn't have an opinion or I shouldn't have an interest because you're telling me I, I don't deserve it or even that there's like a right way and a wrong way yeah. I just want to experiment and have fun and see what this goo does and what this potion does and I think that's why so many people gravitate towards YouTube videos because we're all figuring it out together and makeup should be fun, not something where you feel like you're being lectured to or told that you're doing it wrong or feeling like you don't have a right to do whatever the hell you want to do on your own face. Yeah, it's not an exclusive industry and perhaps that's when Napoleon has fallen down in assuming that it could stay an exclusive industry. Kim, would you stop taking pictures of yourself? Your sister's going to jail. Ariana Grande is being sued over her music video for her 2018 single, God is a Woman. Artist Vladimir Kush is saying the video's depiction of Ariana's silhouette in a candle flame is a ripoff of his painting called The Candle from 20 years earlier. He's now asking for the clip, which has 200 million views, to be removed from the internet. Zara, do you think Ariana and her team are guilty of something here? Yes, I do. I really, really do. And I think that is... I think that may come across as a, an almost unpopular opinion because I think when it comes to lawsuits like this one of somebody accusing somebody else of copying their work, there can be this sense that it's a bit money grabby, that it's a bit of a quick dash for cash, that it's not very classy. But I think a couple of things come into play. First and foremost, you need to look at those two images and say, that's come from somewhere. I think when it comes to 
copying and we're putting that in quote unquote right now because I, I don't know what else to say or to use that often this stuff happens subconsciously. And that's the biggest point we need to make is that there are very few people in the world that say, I love that. I'm going to consciously copy it. But at the end of the day, for someone like Ariana's team, they need to think about where they're actually sourcing their inspiration from, whether it be conscious or subconscious. You're so right. I think there can be a real collective groan from people outside creative industries when stories like this come up, because it does feel like people are just having a whinge, as you said, just want money, just want attention. But it's actually so much more than that. I think anyone who's listening to this who is in the media or in the arts would know that ideas are our livelihoods, they are our income, they are our personality, they're everything. And some ideas can take months, years, decades to form. So to then see, especially if you're a small artist like Vladimir Kush is, to see a major, major pop star take your idea recreate it and not even bother to credit or ask you it almost feels like a violation of your very most inner self yeah you know it's true because I think and the reason that this is a hard conversation to have is because ideas are murky right how do you know what's yours how do you know where it came from how do you know what you even own and I think even with this job we have to be super careful about catching ourselves all the time. And I know I catch myself all the time in saying, why do I think that? Where did that idea come from? Who helped me formulate that thought? You actually have to consistently check yourself because you adopt things from other people subconsciously. And that is ideas, thoughts, art, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's actually why Zara and I don't really listen to any of our competition podcasts in Australia. i actively avoid them because I know that if I listen, I might hear something that then uh, through no uh, malice of my own might just come out as if I've thought it myself and if that's my idea and my own thoughts. And I know that sounds tedious, but I think it's really important. And ideas are fluid, right? So this is where the murkiness comes in. It's almost like my idea is fluid and you can come in and grab a ladle and scoop out the majority of my idea and pour it into your own cup and reproduce as your own. I think my line is you need to be adding something else, but there's just, it is such a personal feeling when you feel like your idea has been taken and potentially repurposed for someone else's benefit without credit. So I think there absolutely is a case for Ariana Grande to answer for here. It's always a question of how close is too close. And in this incident, it looks like a whole lot more than just inspiration. Yeah, it does look like almost a direct rip. I think when we're talking about grabbing ideas, the the saddest part for me is that the quietest voices get overrun the most. And that means that a lot of marginalised people, people that don't have a very loud voice, that are, you know, creating content, writing, producing art, are going to be overrun by people who are noisier. And so I think for the rest of us, it comes down to self-awareness and pulling the ego out of much of what we do. I think for us, we have to know ourselves well enough to know what kinds of things we have formulated ourselves, what kind of ideas we've formulated ourselves and what kinds of things we might've adopted or adapted. That's why it's always so important as well to reference where you get things from and to quote other writers and to quote other articles and saying, this is where the inspiration's coming from. This is where we're now taking it. I think that's super important because as creatives, the onus has to be on us. We need to make sure that we're constantly checking and rechecking where our ideas come from and even looking into our subconscious to think, okay, I think I've come up with this, but is that actually the case? Well, and we're talking about this now and I, I would hate for us to come across as if we 
always do it perfectly because I don't feel like I always do it perfectly. I really don't. I am sure there are things I have said or done or ideas that I've accidentally taken on board that I have forgotten to credit because I guess that is also a very tedious process is finding the origin of every single idea every single time you say it. But it reminds me of that idea about men and women in the boardroom that when sometimes a woman will say something and that idea will be regurgitated three minutes later by a man who just has a louder voice. And so he is therefore automatically credited to it. I think that's a great metaphor for how creative industries work. Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile saying this is not the first time Ariana Grande has been stung with this allegation. So Aussie band Safia alleged the same thing in 2015. So they noticed that the conclusion to their music video for a certain song was almost frame for frame the exact same as hers, which came out about a year later. And they said, we went rigorously online and searched the idea to make sure it hadn't been done before in any form. That idea in its form and the way it was presented was different to other apocalyptic themes. But that's how things often work at big labels. They often source ideas from independent acts who probably think they don't have enough to go up against them. Which is often a a safe bet to make. I mean, the legal system is costly. It's really costly, both in energy and time and money. And a lot of people can't afford to do it. So what they have to do is use social media to call it out. Mm. Whether or not that's successful is another matter altogether. Yeah. One thing that really does annoy me when I talk about this with people who potentially aren't in creative industries is when it's said that copying is flattering. Because copying is so not flattering. That's minimizing its impact. If your work and your income is in question, copying someone's ideas is downright offensive. And what really upsets me is when big fashion brands rip off really small ones. So often there are small designers and small artists and you can do a Google search on this and there is so much to back it up, but particularly fast fashion houses will produce a product in as little as two weeks after sourcing the design from social media without ever crediting that designer or giving them a cut of the profit. I think this has got to be the most pervasive one and the, the the most recognizable stealing of ideas, right? Because stealing a design for a lot of designers can feel akin to being robbed. Like, because you are being robbed of income, your idea has been robbed. And it's, it's such a unique feeling, feeling like people are ripping you off because there is absolutely often nothing you can do. You feel undermined and taken advantage of, right? And so for us, I know we talk about fast fashion a lot. It's working out what our role is too. I know with Gucci having a massive few years, right? A massive resurgence of Gucci and it's become like the most mainstream brand ever, but no one can really afford Gucci. So all of Gucci's shit has been ripped off. Do we have an issue in buying that stuff? I'm sure I've ripped off, I've bought Gucci ripoffs before. Mm. I, I, I just wonder how cognizant we are of playing a part in this kind of thing. I think when you're punching up it's different to yeah. punching down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it might be annoying for Gucci that, uh, I don't know, Zara comes along. Not you, Zara. Zara, the brand, but comes then it's along. Also, it's also part of the hype, right? Or not. Maybe that's me being really um, – then maybe that's me, me being really ignorant. But is that not part of the Gucci hype at the moment that everyone wants a piece of it, whether it's real Gucci or not? Well, there you go. It works out for Gucci, but it definitely doesn't work out for the small designers who – are just selling to their own audience and then suddenly see their designs ripped off by the likes of ASOS and everything like that. Because here's the problem, right? ASOS and similar fast fashion brands boast major manufacturing speeds, like super, super quick. They can turn a product around in as little as two weeks and have it up for sale. And every week they're adding 4,000 new styles to their websites. That's so much stuff. 4,000. So they openly admit, ASOS and Boohoo openly admit to what they call Instagram trend scouting. 
which yeah. is going through and finding specific styles. And I remember one story that really grabbed me earlier this year, which you put in our Facebook group, Zara, was about a particular bikini where this happened, where one woman was in Brazil, I think it was, and she saw this bikini from a very small street designer went back to America, got this made in China and made millions and millions of dollars. I think it was $9 million in a couple of years from this bikini being sold and claimed that the idea was her own. Yeah, so so much so that she went to sue other brands for copying that bikini. And I think maybe we will put that link back in the show notes because you'll see that bikini and it is the most recognisable Instagram bikini ever. But that was a really good example about how we can take from the really small players to make huge coin and it says a lot about privilege doesn't because it? that woman in brazil probably didn't have any of the infrastructure to make this bikini as big as it was it would have been a completely different situation if that american woman had gone up to her and said you know what i want to make this a thing i think you're onto something really good let's work together yeah. but instead she sent an exact photo copy i guess of the bikini to china and said i want this exactly made the same which when i was researching for the podcast this week i kept wondering how this consistently can happen and i know it comes down to first and foremost a lot of people not being able to afford to take other people to court but biana barokovich is a new york based lawyer who practices fashion law and in an interview with huffington post and this is us specific but i think the big fast fashion brands that are doing this are often coming out of the us said essentially in the us we don't have copyright protection for fashion design. She said copyright law does not provide exclusive rights for inherently useful items. So what this means is that garments and accessories that are typically considered useful, like bags or whatever, clothes that cover us, aren't covered by copyright over there. Logos are a different story. So if I wanted to copy Zara's logo, I'd be in a heap of trouble because that's sort of a branding. That would be very meta of you, Zara, copying Zara's logo. Yeah, it's clearly not a coincidence that that's the brand I just chose. But I think logos are a different story than to fashion, and I think this explains why it's so pervasive. Mm, Agree. I just think it's something everyone needs to be cognizant of because ideas might be this airy-fairy concept where it's difficult to pin down, but I think we need to try because at the moment, really small-scale, independent, potentially marginalised artists and creatives are being ripped off by major companies and people like Ariana Grande. I'm sorry, like I like Ariana Grande, but someone in her team here is really fucked up because we'll put the uh, image probably in our Facebook group side by side to show you guys how similar this is. It's simply too similar and it's simply not okay to be taking people's work and pretending that it's your own. It's really dishonest and it's really shit. I think if you're Ariana in this scenario, you can look at those two things and say, well, I don't know if somebody did this deliberately, but regardless, this wasn't the first time that this image has been put out into the world and therefore I inherently owe this person money. I think that's how simple it has to be. Totally agree. I think that's all we've got time for this week. I think it is. Thank you so much for listening to episode 45 of Shackless. (gasps) We so, so, so appreciate your support every single week as we said earlier on the episode we do have our very first live show coming up and tickets will be on sale today so just buy them so we don't have anxiety about nobody turning up yeah michelle genuinely won't sleep yeah i probably won't i just hope i just hope something sells that's all i want apparently i'm very popular and get lots of messages so if that's the case i can invite everyone i know when the the theater will be full just text all your friends just text every (laughs) single one when your alarm goes off at 5 a.m just like by the 5 5 p.m it's 5 5 p.m and also i regret telling that story now i feel like people that was a genuinely helpful point to make 
friends or no friends. You are such a wanker. Because we get it, Zara. You're popular. Anyway, buy tickets to the live show. Come and follow us on Instagram, Shameless Podcast, or come into our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. We would love to have you there. We are desperate to have you there by the sounds of it. Clearly. <laughs> More friends there. Logging it. All right, guys. Thank you so, so, so much. As always, we will be back in your ears next Monday. We will be back next Monday. Bye. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.